Hello, my name is Rob Stone, and uh, you've probably clicked on this video because you want to hear about what I've got to say in regards to why the church is dying. Um, there's a lot of interesting points that I want to bring into this video, but I first feel it important to understand why these questions were raised in my own life, and a little bit of background so that you can understand where some of these answers are have come from. Um, I'm 33 years old, uh, married, I've been married for going on 14 years now, and I have four children, three boys and a little girl, um, Andrew, nine, Mackenzie, six, and I've got twin boys that are five years old, Jackson and Gavin. And so just from a, a family perspective, you can see that I've got my hands full. But uh, the Lord has blessed us, and we have really good kids. They're still kids, and they can be aggravating at times, no, nonetheless, but uh, they're good kids. And uh, my wife is truly amazing. She's, she is a saint. Uh, although she's not perfect, she is a saint. And uh, I'll tell you more later, but she is a lifesaver. But I, I want to go back a little bit further and just kind of give you some of the history of where I came from so you'll understand the context of these answers. Uh, I grew up in church. Uh, very thankful that my parents um, brought me up in church. Um, the denomination of Christianity was the Assemblies of God. A lot of people might call them uh, charismatic or Pentecostal. Um, those are all fairly accurate descriptions. I'm not going to argue with those. Um, they believed in what we call the full gospel, you know, both the New and the Old Testament, uh, and the 66 books that are in that canon, if you will. And so, growing up, you know, it just wasn't an option. That's just the faith that we believed. And I went to church every time that the doors were open, you know, Wednesdays, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and throughout the week there were many other opportunities that we took. Uh, when it came to different things, serving in the choir, the praise team, and band, uh, just all kinds of, of different things throughout the years. and So I was involved, um, enjoyed serving, and uh, seeing the benefit in that, you know, and uh, growing up I could see that the Christian morals uh, did help with things, you know, you, you stayed out of trouble, you didn't get uh, whoopings as much as a, a kid when you followed God's word. And so there were just some, some truths that you begin to understand uh, in the applications of life. And, uh, you know, as a teenager, you know, everyone kind of goes through the rebellious stint uh, to different varying degrees. Mine was pretty drastic at times, uh, to the point of a young teenager uh, experimenting with drugs and uh, just very rebellious, very hateful, uh, to the point that I, I moved out from um, my parents' house for a little while. Um, I grew up in uh, a blended family. I've got a stepfather who's raised me since I was about three years old. I've got a stepbrother who's uh, only three months younger than me, and then a half-brother that's about eight years younger. Uh, so all boys, but yet uh, if you can understand the dynamics of a very blended yours, mine, and ours family, uh, there were some interesting things that played out, but uh, parents did the best they could with what they had. Um, and so growing up, um, you know, we would be in all these different circumstances, uh, different church uh, venues, uh, serving, and 
you just you were around it. You know, these were the things that you were part of. And so, in my rebellious stint, I left and went away from that for a couple of weeks, and I lived with my biological father. And I just began to see that lifestyle that that he was living in at the time, and I just really wasn't interested. You know, it it, it was very different. Um, it was just a, a black and white difference of what you at that point then knew. Wow, okay, you know the parents that God put in my life that I was living with. It was for a reason because I could see the fruits of what that was producing. You know, it was a perfect. No, we were messy. Family's messy. That's just the way it is, but to varying degrees. And so the messy uh, from the world's standpoint. When I went to live with my biological father, I I saw other things. And, you know, from a rebellious teen, you kind of feel like, wow, this is great at first. But uh, when the new wears off and you realize that, you know what, this is, this is not working out the way that it, <laughs> you thought it was going to, you begin to make changes. And so I came back home. I talked to my, my parents and said it was time to come home. But I wasn't ready to serve God the way that my family wanted me to yet. And uh, it, took, it took some time and some patience with me. And I remember um, at a youth service on a Sunday night, I finally broke. I, I realized that I was fighting against something I probably shouldn't have been fighting against. And it was just my own selfish ways that were getting in the way. And so I, I asked Christ into my life, and things really began to change. I was very radical as a teenager. Um, I brought my Bible to school with me. And I would put it on my desk, I would read it, you know, if, if people had questions, I would always be bold to answer and unashamed. Um, I remember being a part of groups where we would sing, uh, you know, and stand in circles and sing praise and worship songs and pray before um, school, you know, out in front of, in the high school, and just, I wasn't afraid to show my faith. And I wasn't always the best at uh, being an example of Christ, and I think we all have those moments that we fail and we just, we beat ourselves up over them. But uh, you can't relive those moments. And so you either choose to uh, relive them over and over again in your future by not learning those lessons, or you learn from them and you change. And so uh, I was married when I was 20. Um, Shannon, my wife, is, we've been together since we were 16 years old as a couple. And I got married when we were 20. And so, you know, now she's been with me 17 years of my life, which is more than how long she's not been. <laughs> and we've actually known each other since we were five. So it's just crazy. You don't, you don't see that often. We've truly been blessed with the relationship that we have. And, uh, you know, in our early adult years, I, uh, I began to, you know, still following God. We kept God as a, a focal point. And even as a, a teenager later on, uh, my later teenage years was a, a part of a ministry that was extremely radical. And uh, there were just some things that I saw that I won't talk about now. I'll go into more detail later that I just I couldn't explain other than there was some supernatural power at work. Uh, just some amazing things that, uh, like I said, I'll, I'll get into it later, uh, possibly in another video, time permitting. Um, but I could not deny at that time the power and existence of an almighty God. Uh, but as I continued to get older... Um, you know, the things of this world begin to wear on you. You know, you've got a job, now you've got a wife, you got bills, you got things you want, you got things you have to take care of, and just the cares of this world can suck the life out of you. 
but we still served God nonetheless. We, you know, went to church again. Every day the door of the church was open, you know, Wednesdays, Sundays, any other extra days for, you know, we, I was always a part of uh, the praise team once I learned how to play bass guitar. And so I, I played everywhere I've ever attended. And uh, it was just part of what we did, you know, that was our culture. And uh, I had something happen to me. And again, I'm not going to go into great detail here with some of this stuff, but just giving you some cliff notes. But God did wake me up and he shook me and gave me some information uh, from his scriptures that just really had me confounded. And the more I continued to share it with some of the, the people around me, some of my spiritual leaders, pastors, friends, they just, you know, didn't discourage me as much as they just patronized me, you know, kind of pat you on the head and say, well, you know, you just keep praying and ask God what that means because we don't know. And uh, that that's really what it was. Um, none of them would deny that they felt as though God really spoke to me about these things, but none of them could tell me what it meant. And so I just, I, I cataloged that experience. Uh, I still have the notepad of notes that night. Uh, and it just, man, it's mind-blowing now to see uh, where God has taken me from that moment, because that was nine years ago. And uh, over the years after that had happened, I began to grow a little more cold and cynical because more people that I shared this passion and vision with continued to look at me like I was strange. And so I just I stopped talking about it. <laughs> you know, you get so many strange looks that after a while you just get tired of it and you just succumb to what people are wanting to hear from you, not what you feel like God's trying to tell you through them or them through you. But uh, anyway, I, I just, I continued to see things. And, and now I'm getting into more of the meat, if you will, of, of that question. You know, what's, what's going on with the church? Why? Why is the church dying? And, uh, you know, I, I've lived in a few different places. I lived in Alabama, I lived in Indiana, and I've lived in Missouri and Oklahoma. And in every single one of those places, I've had a spiritual leader that has failed me miserably. Um, I've had people straight up lie about things to hide things that would destroy their ministries. Um, I've had things that instead of telling the truth about it, destroyed my family. And to this day, I still have issues with my family that have been disrupted because of these lies. I've been a part of pastors that have now been accused of blackmailing pastors' wives for sex. You know, um, allegations that were never fully answered, just kind of brushed under the rug. I've been a part of churches where, um, you know, the pastor, <laughs> just after you feel like you've had some, uh, some progress with working with your family on some issues. Um, I, my youngest brother had some, some issues that they were, we were trying to work through within the church. Had a meeting with the pastor on that Thursday, only for that Sunday for him to announce from the pulpit after praise and worship that the Lord told him right then and there that that was his last day. <laughs> and apparently he didn't tell his wife because she had a different look on her face. And later it was found out that there was allegations of inappropriate texting with the congregational members, things of sexual nature. And again, I just, I couldn't believe it, you know. And then even in Oklahoma, just uh, learning that some people that you, you put a lot of trust and faith and hope in are completely different people when it comes to business. And uh, when I say business, I mean business inside the church. It's not a church. It's an institution of man at that point, and it is a business agenda, not God's agenda. And so I just, man, I began to see so many different things happening, and I, I put blame on these, these uh, leaders, men and women. 
And I just flat out said, you know what? I'm tired of seeing this. The last straw was working for a company that there were some things that I saw that were ethically questionable. And, uh, you know, they, they didn't do bad business per se. They took care of their customers, but there were some, some white lies, if you will, that I just didn't feel comfortable with. Um, and just certain ways of doing business that I didn't agree with. And these people were, quote-unquote, Christian people. Uh, even to the point to where when I wanted to address and make some changes in my life and, and you know, change potentially my employment, that there were threats uh, that they were going to pursue me in, with legal action if I continued to try to work in the same realm that I was working in. And it just floored me because these people were very close. These were friends of the family. And uh, so with all of these different things, I, I finally just said, you know what, this, this can't be real. These people are all fake. They all claim to be serving God. And I was reading in the Bible and just the stuff that I kept reading wasn't making sense. And I'm just scratching my head going, look, your word doesn't make sense. Your people don't make sense. This is a bunch of crap. This is a load of manure. And I, I quit. I gave it up. I threw it away. And I just said, you know what? I don't know what to believe. I grew up in this church thing, and I just I accepted it because that's what I grew up in. But growing up now, myself, I'm realizing that I don't want anything to do with this. And so for a year, back in 2013, I told myself that uh, I'm not going to believe in anything. I just want to go for a year and not believe in anything and just believe in myself. You know, what can I do? Instead of always relying on this imaginary figure to come in and rescue the day every time I get myself into something stupid that I think I'm following him. You know, I'm praying, I'm reading, and I'm always asking God, you know, is this what you want us to do? And just feeling like, okay, well, the door seems to be opening this direction, so I'm going to move this way, God, only for things to continue to get more and more rough on us. Our lives were not getting any easier. Things were getting harder. Um, just, man, it, it was a frustrating time period of my life. Well, the the end of 2013, I started my own business. And uh, my, my best friend, who's been my best friend for over 22 years, he uh, came alongside with me in this venture. And we always knew. We told each other. <laughs> it wasn't a matter of if, but when. Were we going to get into business together and do something? And I had moved back to Oklahoma, had been here for about a year, and uh, we knew that the ball was getting ready to, to start rolling. And uh, Tim, my business partner, best friend, we, we started this internet marketing business, and it uh, went really well. You know, we were able to pick up accounts very quickly. Um, my reputation in the area was already well spread. That. I knew what I was doing, and I already had some people that uh, were referring clients to me because of the the move, which was just wow, it was amazing. And I thought, okay, you know, if I if I would have known to step out like this earlier, I would have done this. Uh, things were doing well, and it, it wasn't perfect, mind you, but for a new business, um, we were doing phenomenal. You know, a lot of new businesses when you start, you've got to have a lot of capital, and uh, you're operating in the red for the first couple of years is kind of the expectation and we had three thousand dollars and we had a return on, on investment within the first few months uh, and within that had enough to support me full-time um, and within less than a year Tim full-time and so uh, it was doing phenomenal it just continued to go that direction you know businesses especially new business you take a couple steps forward you take a step back you know take a few steps forward take a step back 
um, it, just how, how it was, but it was working. It was progressing. And uh, I became very proud of what I had accomplished. And uh, I didn't need God. You know, my wife at the time, she was still uh, very much into church. And I, I told her, I said, look, I'm not going to try to change your beliefs with any of this. And honestly, my, my whole goal was to show her just by living it and doing it that he didn't exist and that hopefully by my example of her realizing that I was right and she was wrong, that she would she'd eventually follow suit and you know put away these, these fairy tales, put away these child's stories. And uh, the empire continued to grow not realizing that behind the scenes my wife was dying inside. She kept on a smiley face. She kept on moving, and you know what? She just kept loving me, and uh, I didn't realize how much she was hurting. She kept it from me. And uh, every day that I would become more and more of myself and less and less of the person that I was, I thought I was blossoming into this new entrepreneur, you know, this new sharp businessman. And what my wife saw was me becoming more and more shrewd, me becoming less compassionate. Uh, I really took on a nice guys finished last mentality. And if I thought you were my enemy, I would do whatever I could to put you under. Um, I, I didn't want anybody in my way. And I was, I was not going to take it from anyone. I was going to put you out. If you were going to oppose me, look out because I'm, I'm just going to plow you. That was my philosophy. I was tired of, of being the nice guy getting kicked in the teeth. And so I switched from being the nice guy to the, the one kicking the teeth in. And I, I like that feeling. And, uh, you know, we could start to have vacations again. You know, we hadn't had a vacation in years, and now we're taking a cruise. Now we go from taking a cruise to, well, now we take a cruise every year. And, you know, now I've got a new car. She's got a new car. We've we didn't have want for anything within reason, you know. We we could have had whatever we really wanted within reason, and uh, things were going pretty well until about November of 2016. It finally took its toll on my wife, and she just she couldn't take it anymore. And uh, she finally told me how she felt. She told me that I wasn't the man she married, and that she's concerned because of who I've become. And not only that, but the influence that I was becoming on our children. And uh, we'd had a conversation, and uh, she asked me about, you know, well, what if the kids start to ask you about your belief? And I just told her, I said, look, I, I can't tell them something that, that's not true to me, you know? I'm, I can't tell them, yeah, I believe in God, when I don't. Uh, something that you'll know about me, if you've known me for any amount of time, is that I can't sell something I don't believe in. It's just not who I am. If I don't believe in it, I can't push it because <laughs> I'm not a good liar when it comes to those things. But if I believe in something, I don't have to lie about it. I just show you the truth about it. And that's what I enjoy so much about what I do is that I can back it up with proof. And that's been the cornerstone of our business. I've enjoyed it. But that's also been something that I was looking for in life was the truth. What is the truth? And I, I read so many different books on business, on being an entrepreneur, on improving yourself and understanding yourself. And I really thought that I was onto something and understanding that truth. And to a degree, I found some truth. But I also found some things that I realized weren't right. Uh, even though it was the truth, 
it was evil and it was wrong. And I just didn't realize it at the time. You know, your gut kind of tells you certain things, but you just ignore it. And you're like, ah, well, that's that's because I grew up a certain way, and that was how they believed, and they're still, it's forcing those beliefs on me to this day. You know, it's just stuck in my in my mind. I can't get rid of some of these thoughts. But in the back of my mind, I always would just, I'd always tell myself, man, I, I wish there was a God, you know? I wish there was somebody up there, because, man, there's times that it, it's been hard, you know? We've got success, but... I've had to fight for that success. I, I still was worried for the longevity of the business. I, I still had concern. No matter how much we made, it never seemed to be enough. It just, it always kept going. And I wanted that piece of just it not having to be on my shoulders all the time. And I never got that. And then when she, when Shannon told me that she wasn't happy and that I wasn't the man that, that, uh, that she married anymore. I mean, you talk about taking the wind out of my sails it uh, shook me to my core I didn't know what to think I thought everything was good I thought everything was happy and about that time I had uh, a business relationship working and uh, was was coaching an employee for another client and uh, in this circumstance uh, I developed a closeness with this individual and through that closeness and then realizing that my wife was unhappy with me you know, I realized that that other individual, she was having issues within her marriage just through the uh, the consulting uh, as far as some of the, the different things that, that I was being hired to help with this business and consulting and with this employee. And uh, I then began to confide in her about my marital issues. And uh, what started off as a very innocent conversation went down a bad path before it was all over, and uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, but uh, those very men that I judged, all of those, those pastors that had inappropriate relationships and things going on, I, I couldn't believe how they would do something so horrible. And then here I am, myself, in this very boat. And you know, it didn't just start here. You know, when I, when I gave up on God, I gave up on all morals, if you will, and so certain things that I was told that I shouldn't do, I, I began to partake in, you know. I, I did things I, I know I shouldn't have done. Um, one of them is things like pornography. And uh, I told myself, you know what, I'm, I'm doing this, so that way I never cheat on my wife, you know. This, I, don't, I don't need the, another person to complicate things. I can just watch this here and, and not have to deal with the drama. But I will tell you, that is a lie. That is a lie. What you feed yourself... <laughs> It eventually comes out, and uh, those actions eventually do take hold and take place, and they did. They did in my life. I ended up having that relationship, and uh, I was thinking maybe that was my, my direction. That was my way out. And maybe the, the universe, if you will, was pointing me to a different direction because, again, I'm still looking for truth at this point. It's been three years. I had my year of not believing in anything, and now I, I thought to myself, I need to believe in something, but I can't go back to what I believed in. I know that that was wrong. And so I was just thinking, well, maybe this is just my next move, you know? And uh, it was at the end of January of 2017, and uh, finally came to an ugly head. The, the pattern between my wife and I was we'd be fine for a little while, and then she'd blow up about something and bring up the whole fact of me not believing in God. And we'd have a big argument about it. 
and then we'd be okay for a little while. And then I'd bring up something where I was upset about what she brought up, and then we'd have a big argument again, and then we'd be fine for a little while. Well, those, those arguments got more and more boisterous, a little more heated, and they started happening more and more frequently until July 31st. Uh, Shannon gives me an ultimatum. She was upset because she thought my, my best friend and business partner, Tim, was the one that influenced me to not believe in God. You see, he's been an atheist since childhood. Um, we've been good friends. Um, I know at one point there was a, a time in his life as a, a young teenager that uh, he did accept Christ into his life, but it was short-lived as far as following in those footsteps. He came to church with me once or twice, you know, here and there. But uh, there was never anything that, that stuck with him. And uh, as he you know, grew into his own, he was an atheist. And so my wife thought that uh, because of that influence, that that's what had changed who I was. And so the ultimatum was for me to either pick between her or Tim and the business. And almost as soon as she said it, she wanted to backtrack and was like, well, no, 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 I don't want to give you an ultimatum. But it had already been said. It was out there. And uh, we had a date that night. Uh, we had a function to go to for a networking event. And it was the most awkward night we've ever had together. It was, uh, it was miserable. That night was miserable. And I ended up getting sick. And to this day, I, I don't know what it was. I never threw up. Um, I just, my whole body just ached when I woke up that next day on February 1st. And I could barely move. And so I just laid there in bed. My wife and kids had all left the house for school. And my wife was teaching at a Mom's Day Out program. And so she was leaving for work. And uh, I just... I just laid there in bed miserable. I was emotionally broken. I uh, was spiritually darkened and just questioning so many things. I was physically sick. And I just, I was a mess. And I, I finally got enough energy to crawl my way to the shower. And I, I remember laying there in the shower, bawling my eyes out and just asking God, why? Like, what's going on? And then I'm sitting to myself going, here I am talking to you, and I don't even know you're real. And I'm still talking to you. <laughs> and so I cried out, and I just said, God, if you're real, if you really are real, I need you. And I need you to show up and show me who you are. you got to show me something. Give me something to work with. Because I'd already dissected my life in my brain, I'd realized that I probably wouldn't see the kids very much, that they would have a very different view of me, they'd probably be scared of me, I would have completely crushed Shannon, and knowing that I would have destroyed her would have destroyed me. The prospects of moving on with another woman, I just, I was lost, and I thought, I, I, I don't even know where to begin with any of this. This isn't, this isn't what I need. This isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. i got to get out of this. Something's got to give. My pride had come to its full glory and left me at the bottom. You will. You will fall. Pride does go before a fall. I fell pretty hard. And uh, I was sick for the next three days. I didn't go into the office. And then the weekend, that Saturday... <laughs> Um, right after those three days of me being sick was my wife and my daughter's birthday. They both share a birthday. And we had 
friends in from out of town, and uh, we put on a smiley face, and we just made the weekend work. And that Monday, in order to stay away from my wife, <laughs> I was in the office early. I just I couldn't stick around knowing what I thought was around the corner. And uh, I hadn't seen Tim in a few days, and uh, he came in that morning, kind of scratching his head, looking a bit sheepish, and I was like, well, what's going on, bud? <clears throat> and he just sat down at my desk, and uh, he just looked at me and went, well, I'm beginning to think there's something to this Jesus guy. <laughs> and I looked at him, and I just, I said, what? <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? You're my atheist best friend, been 22 years. Never mentioned anything about this Jesus guy. Now begins to mention him after I've cried my eyes out and finally just gave up and said, Okay, God, (laughs) show me. Show me who you are. And that Monday, he said, Okay. (laughs) And he began a very different road and process in my life. One of redemption one of forgiveness, and one of finding the truth, finding the way. Now, the things that I'm about to share with you, I just want to give you a heads up. I don't have all the answers, and none of us will. But just as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, we all see in part. We prophesy in part. We're given pieces of this puzzle. And so part of my call to all of you listening is that we've got to put these pieces that God has given us together and find this answer to solve this mystery, if you will. And I'll go into some more details to that later, but I just want you to know, I don't know everything. I know that God has given me a lot, but I've seeked Him a lot. And uh, His Word says, Seek and you will find. Knock and the door be opened. Ask and you shall receive. And I have. I have been beating those doors down, (laughs) looking for answers ever since that day that my atheist best friend started scratching his head saying there's something about this Jesus guy. (laughs) And so with that said, let's talk about the question at hand on why you clicked into this video to begin with. First off, I'm still with my wife. And like I said, he is a gracious God and he has redeemed my marriage He's redeemed my soul, peace, love, joy, so many things that, man, I I just, I can't tell you. I can't begin to tell you the difference that truly believing in Him makes. Not following a religion, not just doing what your parents have told you to do and following that version of Christianity, but truly finding it out for yourself to seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's worth it. You're going to find the truth, and there's nothing that can compare with it. So let's talk about, again, that question. Why is the church dying? Well, some of you may be a little offended by that statement. Many of you may be pastors or leaders within the church, and you say, well, we're doing just fine. And I would say, well, let's take a look at some facts. Let's take a look at some information. And then you tell me what you think. And this... These facts, this information is not research I've done. These are coming from pastors. These are coming from the lips of those leading these congregations across the United States. 
And so here's just a couple of interesting tidbits. I'm here in the Oklahoma City metro uh, in Oklahoma, and um, recent statistics show that only 18% here in this Oklahoma City metro area, 18% of the population go to church on a regular basis. And from my understanding, that's not just Christian church. That's any type of church, whether it be a synagogue, a mosque, um, you name it. 18%. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, where you are in in the country or in the world, but there's this thing here in the United States in the lower uh, southeast area called the Bible Belt. And it just kind of circles around... Uh, you know, the parallels around uh, the Carolinas and to Tennessee and Arkansas, Missouri, and all around Oklahoma, parts of Texas. And it just loops back all the way around and through Florida in kind of this circle, if you will. They call the Bible Belt. And Oklahoma is kind of the buckle of that Bible Belt. And uh, 18%, that's it. That's it. I mean, if you think of places like uh, California, New York that are far more um, liberal, less conservative outside of this Bible belt, if you will. I can only imagine that that number is less. And so the Bible talks about things called false prophets, and it says that you will know them from their fruit. And so something that I want to just point out to you is if we're continuing to shrink as a church, is that good fruit or is that bad fruit? Because to me, it looks like that's fruit that's been withering and rotting and dying on the vine itself. And those particular pieces of the fruit are the pieces that God prunes in order so that good fruit can continue to be born. And so when I see these numbers, it just begins to, again, make me ask these questions. Another statistic that I had recently heard Uh, from another pastor, and this is not just here in Oklahoma, this is across the the nation, I do believe, is what he had mentioned. If not the nation, this would be the world. Uh, In either either case, staggering numbers, that over 5,000 pastors a month are dropping out of the ministry. Now again, I, I ask the question, where's the fruit in that? Because I know there's not 5,000 more that are joining into these places, I'm looking at places that have been well-known within the Assemblies of God, uh, like CBC. It's a Bible college in Missouri. Shut down, you know, and we're continuing to see these issues. People aren't going to seminary. People aren't going to church. Pastors are dropping like flies. Why? Again, I go back to that statement from the Bible. 2 Peter talks about things. You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruit. Now, they sound good. They've got these great messages. Man, I've, I have heard some pastors over the last few years that, man, they can take a verse and make it sing the Star-Spangled Banner. You're just amazed at what they can pull out of a verse. But it still isn't doing the trick. We put together these carnivals for VBS, you know, Vacation Bible School during the summer. When I was a kid... A bus would come pick you up, take you, and it was just Sunday school. Maybe you got some cookies and punch, you know. Now they've got carnivals and so many different extravagant things out there for these people for VBS. But yet, here in Oklahoma, only 18%. We can put on a circus for these folks, and they still don't want to come. So 
So what's going on? What's wrong? Well, is it the people involved? Possibly. But here's something I want to put out there for all of you that think I'm here to bash the pastors of these churches. I'm not. I love every one of them. And I care to say that if we go by what's called the 80-20 rule, meaning that in every situation that there's 100%, there's typically 80% that leans one direction and 20% that leans another, I would care to say that at least 80%, if not more, of the pastors out there mean well. I mean, they're putting their heart into this. They care about these people. I know they do. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen them cry for these people. I've seen them punch walls when they didn't think that a sermon went across the way that it should have, and they felt as though a life was on the line because of it. I have seen that passion in these men, and I know that it's true. I know that it's just and it's right. So again, I ask the question, why is the church dying? And I'll give you a hypothesis. And it's not just a, 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 just a general hypothesis that's come out of my rear. <laughs> it's things that are within the Word of God itself. If you just seek and begin to find what's been right under our noses this whole time. And uh, it starts with Proverbs 3.5. And it says that we should not lean on our own understanding. And so what does that mean exactly? You know, I, I hear people talk about things on, in the Bible, and they, they say, you know, wow, well, look what Jesus was telling people they had to do, you know. He told the rich young ruler, you know, if you want to follow me, you got to sell everything and follow him. But he couldn't, you know. He just, he was sad, and he walked away, you know. And Jesus tells us to do all these different things. Well, but then they say, well, we, you, you got to have some common sense, right? Well, whose common sense is that? Yours or his? Last I checked again, his word tells us that his foolishness would confound the wisdom of this world, that the things of God flip the things of this world on its head. I'll give you a, a for instance. You know, in this world, if someone does you wrong, what does the world tell you should do back? Do it back to them, you know? That's just the way it should be. But what does Jesus say? If someone comes at you, turn the other cheek. Someone asks you to walk a mile with them, walk too. You know, if they ask of something of yours, give them that and even more. And I'm paraphrasing some of these things, but you know where they are in the scriptures. It flips these concepts on its head. And the more that we act like the beasts of the field here on this earth, the less we act like our heavenly nature, the angel that's within us, our spirit man that's within us. And so I ask you, what have you been doing that is representative of Christ? And what have you been doing that's representative of animals, of beasts? And I'll give you a few additional pieces to think on with that. Animals don't have free will. They have instinct. And their instinct is fight or flight. When something comes at them, they look at it, they size up the situation. If they think they can win, they'll fight. And they will fight to the death to take out the enemy. If they don't think they can win, they run. They run to survive, to live another day. But it's all about preservation. It's all about fighting for themselves, even to the point that some animals eat their young to do so. Now look at us from what God has told about what we should be doing. He says that we should not serve ourselves first. He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. 
And so the second is just like it. He says to love your neighbor as yourself, to prefer someone else over yourself. Well, that's not like an animal at all. Again, completely opposite. And so I have to ask the question, what have you been doing recently that shows the characters of Christ rather than the characters of an animal? What do you do in life because you want to do it? Or because you think you have to do it to survive? Because again, this book tells me that if I try to do things to save my life, it's going to end up costing me my life. But if I put my life on the line for his sake, I'm going to gain it. But yet, man, we just we sit back and go, well, <laughs> maybe I should use my own intellect here because God gave us a brain. Uh, but we've got to go back to Proverbs 3, 5. Lean not on your own understanding. And there's other scriptures that say that in a man's heart, so he thinks, and he goes in this direction, but it only leads to destruction. Also, in Romans, it says, let God be true in every man a liar. And so I want to take you on this rabbit trail that I'm not going to give you the flat-out answer of, of why the church is dying, but I'm going to give you some clues because you've got to see some of this stuff for yourself. I'm putting a lot of clues here in front of you so far. But I'm about to point you to some very specific clues inside of God's Word that begins to open up a whole can of worms if you hear His voice and you begin to follow and you're willing to follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And if you're not willing to do that, He's not going to reveal these things to you. To whom much is given, much is required. And if you are not bearing the characteristics of Christ, then He's not going to give these secrets to you says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the honor of kings to seek it out. And are you going to be the, the kings and priests that Peter talks about? Or are you going to be the beast? Are you going to be the animal? The image of the beast? So let's go to God's word. And I just have to ask a couple of questions here. One, do you believe in God's word? And for most Christians, without even thinking, they're going to say, yes, of course. And I say, all right then. Do you also believe that God's word is inspired by the Holy Spirit? And again, almost all Christians are going to flat out say, well, of course. And I'm going to agree with them. And I'm going to say, all right. And it's talked about in the Bible. The only unpardonable sin is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Not only does it say that, but it says you could even blaspheme the Son. You could blaspheme Jesus, like the Jews have done, <laughs> and say he's not the Messiah. But there can still be forgiveness for them. Go figure. But if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit is what's responsible for every word that God has ever spoken. It's his breath. It's his spirit. It's him as well as these words that have been written down in our book. And so with that logic, again, the Christians agree. Yep, you're right. And I can quote them the scriptures. There they are. There's some in John. There's some in Mark. And I say, okay, let's go to Jude, shall we? I'll encourage you. Go to Jude. The book of Jude. It's the second to last book in your 66-book canon. And Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. And so, 
with that being said, we know that he knows far more intimate details of Jesus' life than we know. <laughs> uh, he's seen all of Jesus' boo-boos and mistakes growing up as a kid, you know. Jesus was full, got fully God and fully man. You know, as a child, he still had to learn these things. He didn't just come as this genius baby that knew how to talk and walk and all this fun stuff. No, he was human. He had to go through the process, just like we did. But the difference was he had the Holy Spirit from birth guiding him, helping him make these decisions so that when he came to these understandings, he didn't continue in these mistakes. He was able to walk through them uh, and avoid many of them because he doesn't have that sin nature that we had, uh, being born of the Holy Spirit. And so when we go to Jude, there's a few things that are just extremely interesting about Jude, and you wouldn't even realize it unless you did some further investigating. But right off the bat, you'll notice that Jude has a very different tone than most other books. And he talks about somebody that hasn't been talked about since Genesis. He talks about a man named Enoch. And uh, not only does he talk about him, he talks about the specifics of him, says that he was the seventh from Adam. So this is the, the Enoch that we knew from Genesis, knowing that it was way back then. He was of the seventh generation of man. Then we know that he prophesied about infiltrators in the church. It's mentioned there in Jude. And I just, I thought, well, that's interesting. So Enoch prophesied. And so I, I went back to Genesis, and I'm looking to see, well, where did this prophecy take place? There's no such reference. None at all. Well, I thought, well, that's strange. Well, how did Jude know about Enoch's prophecy? Huh. Well, then he continues to quote from something that we didn't realize was a quote. Uh, this quote was only realized to be a quote within less than the last 300 years because it's been within the last 300 years that this book of Enoch has shown up. And one of the most recent discoveries is through what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. And uh, do yourself a favor, just Google that and take a look at uh, everything that has compassed around the Dead Sea Scrolls. What was found beyond just the book of Enoch that give further validity to what this is. And the fact that it quotes, Jude quotes the book of Enoch specifically. Well, wait a minute. We thought that the 66 books were it, right? The book of Revelation says in, in chapter 22 that you know if you add anything to this or take anything out of it, that the plagues described in this book would be heaped upon you. Well, that's interesting, considering that, you know, Revelation is thought to be the last book written in about 96 AD. And um, so I thought that was a little interesting. We'll come to find out that there have been other books before, besides just Enoch. And Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. And what's happened will happen again. And if you read in, I believe it's 2 Kings, King Josiah, the scribes came to him and found some old books that had been destroyed or hidden, that had been kept from him. Come to find out it was the book of Deuteronomy. And it made King Josiah so upset that he, he tore his clothes. And he then said, look, We've got to find anything else that might have been left out, and we have to restore this law. We have to restore the understanding with the, with the missing information. Wow, we've been doing it wrong, and he was just so mad that he was doing it wrong. Well, again, nothing new under the sun. Check out the book of Enoch. Some very interesting details. Some other interesting books that I began to find have come up within the last 300 years or less. 
Come to find out that even the original King James Version Bible back in 1611, you know, if we're saying that King James is it, right? Well, there were 14 other books that have been taken out since then. So, wow. So you're saying that because of these 14 books being taken out, are, are we subject to the plagues in Revelation? And I would submit to you that yes, yes we are. We've already taken books out. And I'll give you a couple of examples. And it's just, it's baffling to me. You know, in our 66 book canon, we have the book of Ezra. Uh, and we have another book called Nehemiah, which Ezra wrote both of those books. We've already established that Ezra is a prophet and that he is capable of, of writing Holy Spirit-inspired um, writings that have been added to our Bible. Well, there are actually two other books that Ezra has written. Um, depending on uh, the versions, it's uh, either first and second Ezra's, is what they call it, or third or fourth Ezra, um, knowing that there were a total of four books that he wrote. And uh, man, there's a lot of interesting information in these books. Um, something else that I found out is, you know, we, we trust King Solomon. You know, we, we think that he was one of the wisest people that ever walked the face of the earth. He wrote the book of Proverbs. He wrote Ecclesiastes. And he wrote the Song of Solomon. So again, we've established this man's a prophet. We've established that he has the qualifications to write through the Holy Spirit. Um, and so he's got these books. Well, what happened to the book of wisdom? What happened to Ecclesiasticus? What happened to these books? Uh, they were taken out. Why? Well, I submit to you that it's a pretty sharp case of Proverbs 3.5. We were leaning on our own understanding. That For some reason, because we couldn't understand these books, we thought it was an error of the person that wrote the books rather than our error of understanding these books. And what's interesting is further proof is interlaced all throughout the scriptures. Just to give you a few what ifs, not what ifs, but for instances. So, for instance, you know, Jude quotes from the book of Enoch. He said, Well, that's Jude. Maybe Jude shouldn't have been in the canon. All right. I think it should have, but I'll give you that one. Let's just say, you know what? Jude was the, the rebellious half brother of Jesus, and for some reason they put it in there as just a token to Jesus' half brother. Maybe that was it. He was wrong. Uh, well, again, you're, you're treading on some very dangerous ground there, saying that the Holy Spirit's wrong. But let's go one further. Do you remember in Matthew where, again, the Sadducees and Pharisees are trying to trip Jesus up? They've done it often. But they ask the question. They say, okay, Jesus, we got one for you. There's this man and this woman they marry, and uh, they don't have any kids. Well, by Moses' law, he has a brother, and his brother should marry that woman, and he does. Well, he dies, and they don't have kids. Well, there's another brother. This happens seven times. There's seven brothers that, while on earth, have married this woman and all have died without bearing children. So then they say, well, when we get to heaven, whose wife is this? <laughs> and Jesus specifically says, you err not knowing the scriptures. He calls them scriptures, not you err not knowing something that Enoch said, not, not saying that it was a prophecy of, of Enoch, but he says you err not knowing the scriptures and says it's written that we don't marry or give in marriage in heaven, that we will be like the angels. And I implore you, I could be wrong, but look through the 66 books in the current canon 
and you tell me where that reference is found, because I have yet to find it. But I have found it in the book of Enoch, in chapter 15. It does speak of these things that Jesus talks about. And so I just find it interesting that even Jesus was quoting Enoch. And there's other things, you know, in the, the fourth book that Ezra wrote, uh, there is a parable that talks about um, the hen pulling the, the chicks under the wing. And uh, Jesus uses that exact same parable. He quotes from the fourth book of Ezra and says that exact same thing to the Pharisees and talking about how I would have kept you like chicks under my wing. <laughs> and uh, uses that verbatim. Um, we all know about um, Paul talking about the, the armor of God. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not Paul. That's not his work. That's Solomon's. That's from the book of wisdom. It's quoted in there. Go check it out. You know, the book of James is often talked about as the, the, the Proverbs for the New Testament. Well, there's a reason. <laughs> He's quoting a lot of Ecclesiasticus. You know, the whole situation of being um, quick to listen and slow to speak, that's from Ecclesiasticus. And so you'll find, the more that you read, the more that you find these things, you just are blown away at the fact that they've been here this whole time and that these prophets of old, these apostles, even Jesus himself, quoted from them on purpose, laying the foundation for us to say, there's more, and it's being hidden from you. You need to go look. <laughs> and so I will tell you, there is more. And I'll, I'll give you a couple of four instances on why these books are so important. One, in Enoch, it clears up a lot of the things that went on between the time of Adam and Noah, things that Genesis gives us the Cliff Notes version of. And the reason why that Genesis gives you the Cliff Notes version of it is because they expected you to have already read the full version in the book of Enoch, which was older than the book of Genesis. Now, granted, the stories from Genesis are older than Enoch, but Enoch itself has so many different things with more detail beyond just what Genesis gives in those accounts. But it also gives more imagery and symbolism to things that make more sense in the book of Revelation. It's just crazy. Some of the things that make more sense. Same with um, the fourth book of Ezra. There's actually a scene where Ezra sees these men on Mount Zion. And the way that he's describing it is almost the exact same way that John in Revelation chapter 14 is describing Jesus on Mount Zion with the 144,000. The difference is Ezra does not call them the 144,000. He calls them something else. And I'll just leave that nugget there for you to go find out who. But it's not the 144,000. But it is. He just uses a different name, a different terminology, if you will. Just like in the Bible. You know, we call Jesus our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords. He is the, the, the sacrificial lamb. He's the Prince of Peace. Uh, people call him Jesus Christ. People call him Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, if you get into the Hebrew roots, it's uh, Yeshua HaMashiach. You know, there's just so many different names for him, but are they, are they all wrong? No, they're all right. They're all different ways of describing this person. Same with what Ezra is describing and giving a different name to the 144,000. It's the same group of people, but it begins to expose the lies, the things that we have not been told about. What Ezra sees are called the elect. I'll just go ahead and tell you that. And what's very interesting is go back into your 66-book canon. And you know what? If you've got this Bible app from UVerse, you can even search. Just search the word elect. 
And from all of the instances of the elect, you tell me what our 66 books have to say on who the elect are. I mean, I'll give you the short answer. It doesn't. It just tells you certain bits and pieces, like if, if the time wasn't cut short, you know, it's cut short for the elect's sake, you know, and there would be a great deception that many people would be fooled, even the elect, if possible, you know, and we get these ideas, well, who's the elect? And again, if you don't know, you're not to lean on your own understanding of thinking that, well, maybe you're the elect. Maybe it's just the believers. No, no, the elect are very specific. And Enoch even talks about it even more. And the prologue, the intro to Enoch even says that this book is not for his generation, but it was for a generation to come. And it even says who they are. It says it's for the elect who will be on the earth in the time of trouble. I don't know if you're familiar with the Bible or not, but anytime there's a mention of the time of trouble, it's a reference to the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, There's this last seven years that have to be served of a sentence, if you will, that many people call the tribulation. And uh, it's very interesting, the timing of which these books and how they've come back up out of nowhere, it seems. And even in the book of Enoch talks about that these books would be given to us and that more books would be given, more things that have been hidden from us this whole time. Uh, And you know what? You want to know where it is in our 66-book canon? It is. They've dropped all the hints. There's so many quotes from these books. They've been there before. Ecclesiastes even says there's nothing new. These things have been there, but they've been hidden from us. And uh, also, in Revelation, uh, the seven churches, the seven letters, it even states that at the end of each one of the churches, it says, but to those who overcome, And it says that he'll give them different things. And one of the things that he says he will give them is of his secret manna, his hidden manna. Well, that is code for the word of God, his hidden pages. And it's just amazing to see now some of these pictures and what we're getting. And so that's the first step is understanding, well, why is the church dying? Well, because the church has been built upon a lie. And it's been a pretty stout lie for about 2,000 years. And you want to know how we know this? Well, both John and Jude tell us. Again, go through the books of John. It's in your existing 66-book canon, but there is a quote-unquote pastor, if you will, using today's terminology of a church. His name is Diotrephes. And he refuses John to come to his church and speak. Now, I'm not talking about just any John. I'm talking John the Beloved, John who rested his head on the bosom of Christ. Not allowed. (laughs) And then you've got Jude talking about these infiltrators in the church. Now, I'll go back to ask the question, why do you think all of the apostles were killed or put on an island, exiled, They knew things, and they were put to death for what they knew. Not only the real-life experience with Jesus Christ himself, but things that that were hidden. It was their stories. Uh, There's a Gospel of Thomas. There's there's more information out there that is just mind-blowing. And you know what? People say, oh, you shouldn't read these things. These are forbidden. Says who? Says your pastor? says these leaders back in the 1600s who had already neutered the Word of God to the point of where it was back in 1611 to only further neuter it beyond that to the 66 books that we have now? Really? I just, I don't feel comfortable with that. Because again, lean not on your own understanding. What do these men think they understood better than God's Word if this was already in God's Word and now it's taken out of it? 
It doesn't make sense. What tells me is that the fruit stinks. The fruit is dying. And the longer that time has gone on, that we've not been living in the full truth of his word, the more we're seeing this moral and social decay of our society. We're seeing it. And not only just our society and here in America, but across the world. Everybody thinks they're right. I mean, you've got Trump talking about sending fire and fury like this world has never seen to people in North Korea. I mean, really? Really? And then North Korea, well, death to America. I mean, just like back and forth, this stupid banter. I mean, I mean, excuse my language here, but you're talking about trying to satisfy a pissing match with nuclear weapons. Wake up, people. We are in a stage of pride like I've never seen. Never seen. Well, let's talk about pride for a second. Again, if this doesn't make you question the existing 66-book canon, you're just dogmatic about this and you're in denial. Give it time. And I, I, I urge you, pick up some of these books and read it. Instead of spending four hours binge-watching Netflix, which I'm, I'm calling it out because I do the same, which, trust me, there is no biblical nutritional value on Netflix unless you're watching documentaries about the Bible, which I doubt that's what you're doing. You're probably binge-watching your favorite TV show, which has nothing but personifying the sin and horribleness that this world has to offer. But you'd rather do that than potentially read one of these quote-unquote forbidden books that have things about God in them. I just find that to be a very puzzling, very strange um, manner of determining what's important and what's not. Again, I can't just put full judgment on you. I'm guilty as well. I, I watch Netflix, and uh, it's something that, that I do enjoy. We sit and watch some things with my wife. But I will tell you, I don't do that in lieu of pursuing Christ and what he's asked me to do and learning about what he wants me to find in his word and serving him. And so I'll leave you with one, one story that should make you question some things. It's a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, these three Hebrew boys, they had favor on the side of God, and they did not obey Nebuchadnezzar's orders. And those orders were to worship his image. Again, I'm using terminology here so you kind of catch what I'm picking up here. His image, a statue made of him, of a man, man's image. Remember, I told you there's some, some relationship we have to the beasts of the field, and if we decide to participate in either the beasts of the field or the things of God, it determines on whether or not we act like animals or angels. Well, this animal of a leader, which you'll find later, God had him grazing under a tree like an animal, just further proof of the whole beast in us, and that God will eventually give you over to your depraved minds to act like an animal, if you so choose that direction. But if you don't, he is loving and will forgive you. But King Nebuchadnezzar at that time made a statue that was 60 cubits tall and 6 cubits wide. Now, any of you who've read Revelation or have heard about the number of the beast, you know that its number is 666. Well, I've done some further studies on numbers, and it's interesting. 60, in the Bible, used many other times, has been used as a reference for pride. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar's statue was 60 cubits tall. You think the man's proud of himself? I think that fits perfectly. Then you got six cubits wide. And in Revelation, again, we know that the number of man is six. 
man was created on the sixth day, and so on. So put the two together, what do you get? 66. Huh, well that's interesting. You're only missing one more number to 666. See, it never set well with me that our canon has 66 books in it, which was also representative of King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, which is symbolically this world and its system. So are we following God's system? Or are we following man's system and leaning on our own understanding? I'll leave you with that. Think about it. And if you pray and you seek God and you you truly ask him to reveal himself to you, that you're not looking for what the church has to say, you're not looking for even what I've got to say, that you just want to know the truth, and you pursue it, seek and you will find. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be opened. In Revelation 3.20, says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's already knocking. He's already waiting. But these Laodiceans, they think they got it all figured out. But really, he says, look, you're just lukewarm. You don't care. Look at it. You're just happy about your own life. Living the American dream. <laughs> you got the house. You got cars. You got the kids. You're taking them to all these sporting events. And, you know, you're living the American dream, right? But what are you doing for him? Nothing. You're showing up to church. You're serving at church, maybe. But what does he really want you to do? Because if you can find an example where God says serve in your local church and that's how you get to heaven, send me that scripture. I'd, li- I'd like to see it. I've not seen it yet. It says to seek first his kingdom and that all these things will be added. But so many different things are, are taken a different way. Again, hear what I'm saying and hear my heart and love. I love every one of these pastors at church, churches across this world. Uh, I have no ill attempt to hurt them, or defame them, but I want to love them and I want to help them. And it starts with them realizing that they've also been lied to. It's not just you. These people aren't lying to you on purpose for the most part. I'm sure there's a few that have, have felt the calling of the Holy Spirit to look into these matters and have decided not to. But many, they're just they're doing what they've been taught how to do. You know, train up a child on the way they should go, and when they grow old, they won't depart from it. Well, what if that means you've learned something wrong? It means it's going to be hard to reset that. The Bible tells us you cannot put new wine in old wineskins. So you have to renew your mind and be willing to take this challenge with an open mind and an open heart. And to prove to yourself that you have the open mind and the open heart, I'm going to challenge you to do something. I'm going to challenge you to do something that is completely against your nature. But then, if you follow through with this, if you run the play, (laughs) just watch. Just watch and see what happens. It's not all about head knowledge. It's about heart knowledge, too. And so when your head knowledge exceeds your heart knowledge, you're not going to learn anything more that God wants to show you. You're just going to learn more things that satisfy your own wants and needs ways to justify your own actions. But if you stop from just your head knowledge and you get out and you truly serve, you begin to do the things that he's told us to do, to love someone else over us, to prefer somebody over us, not only to love someone else, but to even love our enemies. And I challenge you, go through one of Jesus' teachings, and in the real world, in this physical life that we live, Apply it. Do it. For a whole day, 
Do something for your spouse before you do anything for yourself. When you get up to make your coffee in the morning, make them coffee instead. When you get up to do something for yourself, do something for them instead. Ask what they want. Ask what they need. And just see what comes from it. Not just your spouse, but those people around you. Don't try to hurry and rush to get through. Again, this isn't about nice guys finish last. I've seen that, and I've seen where it'll leave you. It'll leave you naked, in pain, and alone, bawling your eyes out, trying to figure out what happened. It ends in destruction. It ends in death. I'm telling you from my own experience. But my Bible tells me that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so with that, he gives that life. And he is the way. And it says that narrow is the way and few that find it. And so if you're on a path that everyone else is on, you might want to jump ship because you're probably going the wrong direction. Again, we look at that 80-20 rule. 80% are going the wrong way, buddy. And only about 20 are going the right. I'd care to say that those numbers are probably less. I'm going the other direction. I'm fighting against the grain. I don't attend a church, but yet I have his word with me every day. I share object lessons of faith with my children every day. As the Spirit continues to lead me, I lead them. And I have been able to show them more instruction of Christ and the things that he wants us to do than I ever have in the times that we have been attending church. It's just been amazing. Am I telling you just to drop out? No. See things for yourself. Run this play. Do as I told you. Not because I told you, but because it's his word. Do something for someone else. Serve somebody. He says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you came to see me. When I was in prison, you came and you visited me. And they were confused and said, when did we do this for you, Lord? We, we surely would have known. And he said, when you do this to the least of men, you do this unto me. So I encourage you, who's out there that's hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, imprisoned? Do something this week. Take care of them. And then get in God's word. <laughs> and just watch the things that he begins to show you. And if you want to take this journey with me and learn more of what God is revealing to me in the truth rather than the lies that this world wants us to buy into, subscribe. Subscribe to our page, and I'm going to have additional details out there. And I'm going to be putting together a course. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, man, here's the catch. He's going to charge for this stuff. He's wanting money. <laughs> no, it'll be free. But his word tells us that these things you must learn line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And if you try to just take this all in at once, you're not going to learn the lessons that you have to along the way to gain the understanding. This isn't just head knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge are two different things. Knowledge means you might know some information, but the wisdom is that you know then how to use that knowledge, and that comes from experience. It just comes from jumping in and getting your hands dirty and making something happen. And so if you choose, subscribe. And like I said, I'm going to be putting some future details on how to subscribe to this course completely free. And you'll know that there's no gimmicks. If you look on timandrob.com on our, our website, there's no buttons for donations. We don't even have an address. I don't want your money. Uh, neither does God. He's, he wants you. That's what he wants. 
And so that's what this course is going to be talking about. It's going to be focused on learning more knowledge of him, yes, and the things that have been hidden from us, but it's also going to be about taking him at his word and putting faith into action because James tells us that faith without works is dead. If you believe in something, prove it. Prove it. Your works isn't what saves you. Only grace, his grace, Jesus' grace can save us. And he's already done that work. But it's time to put that faith into action. If you truly believe him, you'll follow his commands. That's what Jesus says. If you love me, you'll follow my commands. <laughs> and so I'm choosing to live by the one that says we're not to live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, regardless of what any man decides to say about it. So are you with me? Do you see what I'm talking about? Do you, do you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at you, letting you know that, yes, there's more? And if you'll just accept and take that next step, it's there. And you know, you might have to go back and say, man, I feel something, but I'm, I'm nowhere near God right now. <laughs> well, guess what? Neither was I. And this has just been within the last year. The things have turned around for me. I mean, I was opposed violently to God in many things. I didn't just go and attack people, but I, no, I, I rejected it. And I lived a, as a horrible man doing horrible things. And he's been able to change this heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And if he did it for me, he can do it for you. If he can restore my marriage through infidelity because of him and what he can do, he can make the impossible happen. I've seen it firsthand. And I'm telling you this because this is how it works. And if you have a story to tell, you need to tell it too. On our website, I even have a place for you to do so so that we can begin sharing this with the whole world. On timandrob.com, there's a place that says, why share your testimony? Why, why share your story? It's because of Revelation 12:11. It says, and they overcame that dragon by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, even to the point that they did not shrink even unto death. Now that's some faith. But they kept this. They kept it going. Well, Jesus has done the first part. The blood of the Lamb has already been spilled for us. The next part is for us to accept it and to walk in it and prove it, put our faith to works. And so I just I encourage you. It's been an hour of a message here, and uh, I hope that you've stuck it out with me. Uh, there'll be more, and some won't be near as long, but uh, this one has a lot of my story here of why. And uh, I've given you some parts without a lot of details. Those will come in other videos. And I'll reference them as, as they come up and letting you know where they are if you've been following me through this journey. But I want you to know that I love you. And that uh, as far as the church, I love the church. I love all of the pastors and ministers and people that are there serving. But the one thing that I am actively opposed to, only because my God is actively opposed to, is the institution of church, the institutions of man, the things that we have made will not stand. The only thing that will stand is his word. It is everlasting. And so with that, I bid you a farewell for this time. And uh, again, I love you all. If there's ever any questions or things that you'd wish to reach out on, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Tim and Rob, or you can go to our website, 
Uh, we've got a, a form there that you can fill out, but uh, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear some feedback. If you're just going to be a, a naysayer, you're just going to be a, a mocker, you've got your place. I get it. It says that the, you will be here. You know, Second Peter tells us that uh, in these last days we'll have mockers and scoffers. And so, you know what? I'm okay with you being a skeptic, but I'm not okay with you being a jerk. And if you're just going to be a jerk on my page, um, I'm just going to block and delete you and, and move on. I don't need you sitting there trying to discourage someone else from pursuing God and, and seeking out their own salvation with fear and trembling, just as I am. But if you're truly asking questions, I'll answer. I'll stick around, and I'll continue to show you love, but I'll also be very blunt about things. I don't sugarcoat very well, uh, but it will be done in love, knowing that that's what he desires of us. Again, 1 Corinthians 13, man, we can have all the right answers, <laughs> but if we don't do it in love, it's just noise. It doesn't make any sense to anyone else, and they just hear noise. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to scream noise right back at you. <laughs> so I implore you, don't. Don't go that route. Just shower them with love, love and grace that the Father gives us, give to them. But again, thank you all, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.